Okay, um, if you could open your Bibles, please, to Luke chapter 8. Luke chapter 8, and we're going to read a passage of Scripture together. But starting at verse 26, it is going to come up uh, here as well. There we go. So uh, Luke chapter 8, 26 to 39. And this is referring to Jesus and his disciples. Then they sailed to the country of the Gerasenes, which is opposite Galilee. When Jesus had stepped out on land, there met him a man from the city who had demons. For a long time he had worn no clothes, and he had not lived in a house but among the tombs. When he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell down before him and said with a loud voice, What have you got to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? I beg you, do not torment me. Oh, this is a new changeover, isn't it? Oh. For he had commanded the unclean spirit to come out of the man. For many a time it had seized him. He was kept under guard and bound with chains and shackles. But he would break the bonds and be driven by the demon into the desert. Jesus then asked him, what is your name? And he said, legion, for many demons had entered him. And he begged him not to command them to depart into the abyss. Now a large herd of pigs was feeding there on the hillside, and they begged him to let them enter these. So he gave them permission. Then the demon, demons came out of the man and entered the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and drowned. When the herdsmen saw what had happened, they fled and told it in the city and in the country. Then people went out to see what had happened, and they came to Jesus and found the man from whom the demons had gone, sitting at the feet of Jesus, clothed and in his right mind. And they were afraid. And those who had seen it told them how the demon-possessed man had been healed. Then all the people of the surrounding country of the Gerasenes asked him to depart from them, for they were seized with great fear. So he got into the boat and returned. The man from whom the demons had gone begged that he might be with him, but Jesus sent him away, saying, Return to your home and declare how much God has done for you. And he went away, proclaiming throughout the whole city how much Jesus had done for him. I don't know why it is, but whenever there's a passage on demons, I get to preach on it. <laughs> and, and that's really poor, because I organized the preaching as well. So <clears throat> you would have thought I would have worked that out a little bit better. But anyway... Um, obviously, if you're a visitor here today, what we're doing is we are working our way through the Gospel of Luke. And uh, so what we're doing is we're taking a little passage of Luke, and then we're trying to suck the juice out of it, for want of a better phrase. We're trying to see what Scripture is saying and to get the truth of it uh, into us. And um, it just means that when we come across certain passages that personally I probably would have skipped over... It means that you have to look at them and you have to uh, go over them, which is really good. So this week has fallen to me to look again at the subject of demons. Or perhaps rather more importantly, I should say, actually what we're going to look at is God's total authority over the demonic. His total authority over the spiritual world. It's really important uh, that we see that. And actually, what we've just read, this little uh, bit, of, bit of scripture here, is actually a one of three incidents that actually happened one after the other. I think Ian made this point last week. So if you remember when Ian was preaching, he looked at the first incident, and that was when they were on their way to the Gerasenes. And they got into this boat, and there was this incredible storm, if you remember, and the disciples thought they were going to die. So they're having a bit of a, Jesus, we're all going to die moment. 
don't you care sort of thing. And they wake him up and he stands up and he rebukes the wind and the waves. He just says, peace be still and they are. And then they say, oh, oh, I, I, and it says they were, they were marveled at him, but also they were afraid. So that's the first one we saw. We then see this incident. So they get off the boat. They think, well, if, if that was me and the, one of the disciples, I'd be thinking, I need a cup of tea now. A nice cafe by the edge of the lake would be lovely. Thank you very much. I'm looking for that. And of course, we're with Jesus, so nothing you know, happens that's kind of normal, does it? So, uh, of course, the first thing that happens is some mad naked guy now runs up to Jesus and starts screaming at him. And I'd be thinking, oh, no, please, no, no. That ditches my cup of tea straight away. So we see that. And then the week, the week after, next week, we're going to be looking at the fact that Jesus also has total authority over life and death. Yeah. Life and death. We're going to look at the incident of Jairus and his daughter who dies. And Jesus is going to raise her from the dead. So this is an awesome passage, three, three incidents where we see the total authority of God. His total authority over the natural world, over the spiritual world, and over life and death itself. I want to say to you, we're looking to be disciples. You believe in him and you're looking to follow him. This is something he wants us to grasp. He has total authority over all of these areas. And interestingly, after these three incidents, we come on to chapter 9, and that's when he sends them out. Okay, 12, it's time for you to go out. What have they learnt? Well, they've been with him, but they've had this final understanding. He has all authority. Okay, now I can send you out. I would suggest God is trying to teach you this. He wants you to understand his total authority. And maybe even today, something of that will drop into your heart. Be good if it did, wouldn't it? Yeah, good. Right, okay. So um, now, uh, for those of you who've been following this uh, preaching series for a while, you will remember that um, we looked at the demonic before, um, and we looked at it in chapter 4, because that's when Luke raised the subject. Do you remember that? Yeah, a few of you do. Good, good, good. And if you recall, that was the time when Jesus went to Capernaum. Do you remember that? He'd, he'd been to Nazareth. They effectively kicked him out of Nazareth because they didn't like what he was saying. He then goes to Capernaum and it all kicks off in uh, Capernaum. And uh, if you remember, we looked at that chapter and we tried to learn a few things. We felt the Bible was trying to teach us a little bit about the demonic at that time. And that's the first time it introduced us, or the, uh, Luke anyway, introduces us to this subject. And what, what did we see? Well, we saw obviously that uh, demons were able uh, uh, to speak through individuals. That's what the Bible taught us. Um, we saw that the, the nature of these demons were that they totally oppose God. They are irrevocably committed to opposing God. And we saw also that they tried to mock and intimidate Jesus. Do you remember that? So uh, they would... They were trying to get him into trouble so they were saying stuff like we know you're the son of God and of course in that time in that time if some a man claimed to be God that was deemed to be blasphemous and that was punishable by death so I think what the demons were trying to do was get him bumped off they wanted Jesus killed and uh, so we saw that they all had the same tactic 
A number of these demons were up to that tactic. So they had a kind of strategic approach. They had some intelligence as well, I think. That is what the Bible is telling us. But actually, the most important thing we saw from chapter 4 is that Jesus had total authority over the demons. That's the thing we needed to see more than anything from chapter 4. Jesus was not in any way intimidated by them. He orders them to be silent, and they are. And then he says, come out of that person, and then they have to. We observe that. There is no option for them. Uh, They are totally outranked. You see, because Jesus has come to town. The king of kings has just arrived. He is the one who has all authority, and he speaks, so they obey. They don't want to, but they have to. Uh, The other thing that we looked at when we looked at chapter 4 was that actually what's really happening to these people is that freedom is coming. Hello, yeah, freedom has come. Freedom has come. See, this stuff is being exposed by God. The presence of God has come. It's being exposed because Jesus wants them to be free. He's after freedom. He loves freedom. And I would suggest, actually, when we come onto this subject, our fascination should not be in the demonic. Our fascination should be in, in our love for freedom for people. Shouldn't it? We want to be free. And uh, remember, when Jesus was at Nazareth, he quoted Isaiah 61. And he said he had come to set the captive free, to open the prison door for those who are bound. That's what's driving Jesus. I suggest, church, that's what should drive us. That's what we're interested in, not the demonic. We're We're after him and what he wants to do. Okay, so I think it's really important we just get that straight again. It's also important as well, from our look at chapter 4, that we remember our own position now as disciples. So when Jesus sends out the 12 disciples, and then a chapter or two later, he sends out the 72. Do you remember this, when he did this? Yeah, have you read this? He sends out the 70, a different 72 disciples. We see that they are all given three things. What three things are they given? Yeah, so they are given. They are told to heal the sick, to preach the kingdom of God, and to cast out demons. So can I just say to you, that's what disciples look like. And as I was studying this, what I realized was that's where they started. Bit of an... I thought, oh, Lord, have I started yet then? But that's where they started. And actually what the Bible is indicating is that that's what disciples look like. And that actually is what disciples today should be involved with. In other words, that's normal Christianity. That's normal Christianity. It's important we see this because I think particularly with the whole area of the demonic, we assume that there are experts that do this. We have an expert, or that's the person who deals with exorcisms. And we go to them, and they do that. Actually, does the Bible indicate that? No, it doesn't. This is normal stuff for normal Christians. So that means you and me. Ooh. (laughs) Okay, so let's move on then to uh, chapter 8. And uh, again, we see Jesus is now facing again the issue of the demonic. And uh, 
I think we have to acknowledge that this particular incident is a particularly extreme form of demonization, isn't it? This is way beyond the stuff we saw in chapter 4. This man is so affected by the demons that have got hold of him that he doesn't wear clothes. He is stark naked. And the Bible says he's been naked for years. (laughs) Okay. I thought that was a bit odd, but clearly that's quite normal for many of you. That's fine. Uh, no, no, he's stark naked. He hasn't worn clothes for some time. He hasn't lived in a house for years. Hasn't lived in a house for years. And instead, the Bible says, he lives amongst the tombs. Man, can you imagine it when mum and dad were saying, now listen, Johnny, when you come home from school... Avoid the graveyard, okay? Because there's this weird, mad, naked guy who lives there. Actually, I bet they didn't have to be told that. So what else do we see about this man? Well, we see he demonstrates uh, a very uh, unhealthy, supernatural strength. He's able to break these chains and shackles that they're trying to put on him. All human attempts to restrain this man seem to fail. In other words, there is no human answer for this man. That's what the Bible's telling us. There's no human answer for this man. And um, he's clearly very disturbed. Uh, it, it, it seems that the, the demons, it says, drive him to live in the desert. So presumably at times, this man is really isolated. Very, very lonely, I would suggest. And actually, if you're out in the desert and you're totally naked, you're going to endure lots of physical hardship. Aren't you? Um, So, you know, actually, I would say, let your heart go out to this man. This guy is suffering badly. And anyway, so Jesus then gets off the boat, and then this is what greets him. The mad naked guy now arrives and starts shouting in his face. There's not a great welcome. Okay, so what can we now learn? What is the Bible trying to teach you and me about the demonic from this passage? It's trying to equip us so that we, we can deal with this. So what is the Bible now telling us? Um, how is it trying to educate us? Now, I, I just want to say this. Some of you may have grown up watching horror films. Can I just say, don't watch horror films. They're really dumb things to watch. They don't do you any good. But some of you may have a history of watching them. And if you do, you will have a wrong idea of what demons can do and what they can't do. Uh, uh, Because they will be portrayed as uh, the ultimate authority and power, the one that's always in charge and that can do whatever they like. But actually, the Bible teaches us something very different. Very different to that. And actually, what do we see? Right from the word go, we see these demons are terrified of Jesus. Ah, church, these demons are terrified of him and therefore of you. Did you know that? They are terrified of you. So this guy approaches and with a loud voice, again, like the other ones, I think he's trying to intimidate uh, Jesus. And he says, um, he calls out and says, I know who you are. You're Jesus, the son of God. So you see, I know who you are. I'm trying to intimidate you, trying to rock you. And uh, I understand sometimes when you encounter the demonic, they can scream. You possibly, some of you may have experienced that, screaming, really kind of an unnatural scream. What's all that about? That's about intimidation. 
You see, what they're doing at this precise time is they're doing the only thing they can do because they don't have any power or authority. So they've got to rock you. They've got to try and rock Jesus. And that's what's happening. They're trying to say, go on, go away from me because I know who you are and you have authority and power over me. And I suspect some of you, if you've been involved with it, have been fearful of what you've seen. And your instinct is to think, ooh, getting away from that. That's what they want. They want you to go away. Now, the fear that they have of Jesus, I think, becomes really, really obvious with the line when they say, it comes out here. They say, I beg you, do not torment me. Ah, okay. It's coming out now. Now, that could be an appeal to pity. Oh, please don't torment me. Could be that. But actually, I think it's real fear. They are frightened that they are now going to have to start to endure torment. Whoa, okay. And then in verse 31, we see it really, really clearly. And it says, they beg Jesus not to command them to depart into the abyss. Do you remember said that? Question, what is the abyss? Why are they so frightened of it? I think we get a little bit of help here from uh, 2 Peter 2. So 2 Peter says this, God did not spare angels when they sinned. That's demons, by the way. But he cast them into hell and committed them to chains of gloomy darkness to be kept until the judgment. And they are terrified that Jesus is about to send them there before the time that they think they should go. They know they're going to have to go, but they are terrified they're going to be sent there earlier than they want to go. So that's why they're so scared. Church, demons are terrified of you. Because all the authority and the power is in Christ, and you are in Christ, and he is in you. Hello? Yes? It's important we understand this. It's also important for us to understand that their end is not good and that there is no salvation for demons. There is no the equivalent of a cross. Jesus wonderfully has come and rescued us. The cross has come. You and I can be saved now. There is no equivalent. There is no redemption or forgiveness for demons. Jesus doesn't try and save these demons. He just wants to get rid of them. Important we understand that. Okay, how are we doing? We all right? Not too worried? Good. I need to work harder. (laughs) Can I have a glass of water? Okay, so what else does this passage uh, then tell us about the demonic? Well, um, I think we get some uh, uh, insight actually into this passage because it it says they operate on the basis of permission. They operate on the basis of commission. Clearly, when you read what's going on here, there is an authority command structure, thank you very much, in place. And they have to abide by it. So when Jesus turns up and he starts to say to you, say, say to them, get out of this man, they realize they have to go. So now they start to look for somewhere else to go. So they say, please can we move to the pigs? Now, that's a really interesting little bit of insight for us. They can't do it without permission. So demons cannot move from one person to an animal without the permission. 
That's really important for us to understand because I think the fear that many of us have had is, oh, if I get involved in this area, they might jump out of that person and get me. Who's had that fear? Yeah, yeah, a number of you. We are frightened of them because we think, oh, we don't understand. It's really important we understand from this um, passage, from this passage, that they needed the permission of Jesus. And they were powerless to move without him saying, yes, you may. Okay, so demons just can't enter people at will. It's really important because that will help us to overcome fear of these things. They're not going to get you. They can't get you without permission. Now, um, I think probably I just do need just to put a caveat in here because actually it is possible for people to give demons permission to operate in their lives. It is possible to give that permission to the demonic. And uh, how, how do we do that then? Now, this is an important question, uh, isn't it, really? Well, one of the obvious ways that we can uh, leave the door open to the demonic is through involvement in the things that God has said to avoid. And uh, the obvious example, of course, is the occult. And uh, God tells us very clearly that the occult is something that we should not do. In fact, the Bible describes it as an abomination. Now, I can't think of another thing where God describes something as an abomination. It's a very strong Bible word. It's an abomination. And when our Father, who loves us, sets a really strong boundary like this, the reason he's doing that is because he's saying, it will harm you. It will harm you. So he puts this very strong boundary in. And I just thought I'd better show you some scriptures here. So the first one is Leviticus. And God says this, do not turn to mediums or necromancers. A necromancer is someone who tries to summon up the spirit of the dead. Uh, do not turn to mediums or necromancers. Do not seek them out. And so make yourselves unclean by them. I am the Lord your God. Interesting, these demons are referred to as unclean spirits. Unclean demons. And here, here is this word saying, if you get involved in this, you will make yourselves unclean. So um, a very, very strong word to us. Here's another one. Deuteronomy uh, 18. Uh, now this was when God was speaking to the children of Israel just before they went into the promised land. And you know the story. And uh, what actually he says just before this is, part of the reason I am driving these people out before you is because these are the practices they are involved with. So we get another sense of just how displeasing this stuff is to God. So it says, there shall not be found among you anyone who burns his son or his daughter as an offering. Now I trust, not even on your worst day, <laughs> you would go there. I mean, it may have gone through your mind, but hey, <laughs> there's grace. Um, <clears throat> but look what it goes on to say. Anyone who practices divination, that's like uh, fortune telling or uh, witchcraft, that kind of stuff. Anyone who practices divination or tells fortunes or interprets omens or a sorcerer or a charmer or a medium or a necromancer or one who inquires of the dead, for whoever does these things is an abomination to the Lord. So there you are, there it is. Very uh, strong stuff. So I just want to say to you, hey, avoid this stuff. Um, 
Now, we're going to have a, a ministry team available afterwards. If any of you have been involved in this stuff, I would just urge you to be prayed for this morning. Um, I think repentance is the way to go on this one. So um, uh, it's not a big deal, but we'd be really happy to do that. In fact, I would urge you, if you have been involved in any of those things, um, to do that. And I just thought this might help you as well. I've taken this from Freedom in Christ. Uh, Freedom in Christ very helpfully supplies a very long list of some of the kind of modern occultic practices that are quite prevalent in, in our culture. I've just put up a, a sample here. Things like Ouija boards, tarot cards, seances, levitation, hypnosis, fortune telling, that kind of stuff. Obviously stuff like Satanism or witchcraft. That's kind of obvious really. Um, but uh, there are other things as well. Just, just to urge you, no, these are things to keep away from. Um, so that's one door that we can open. If we consistently uh, go to these places, you can open the door um, to the demonic. The other thing I think I just wanted to say in all of this was uh, if you are involved in intentional, consistent, and persistent sin, that would be another way of leaving the door open. And I guess one of the most common ones in our culture today, unfortunately, would be sexual immorality. So if you are sleeping with people who are not your husband or wife, you're, not, you're sleeping outside of the, married, uh, uh, the, the marriage, and the Bible defines marriage as one man and one woman. So if you're having sex outside of that environment on a consistent, intentional basis, I would suggest you can leave a door open uh, to this kind of stuff. So I do that. I trust to help you. Uh, not to frighten, but to... Um, to help. Okay, let's go back then to the man in the story. How are we doing? We okay? Yeah. Good. Okay. Just checking. Let's go back to our man in the story then. So, uh, where are we? So, the demons have asked for permission, haven't they, to enter the pigs? And uh, the, the story tells us. Oh, yeah, sorry, there's a map. Look, I forgot to tell you about the map. Uh, I just thought it would be helpful to show you where Jesus had gone. So um, I, that's roughly where he was. That's believed to be so, the sort of southeast area of the Lake of Galilee. When he crossed the Lake of Galilee, he went into this area called the Decapolis, which is a very Gentile area. Uh, and that's why there were pigs there, and you probably wouldn't have found pigs in Israel um, more generally. So, so that's roughly where they were there. Um, yeah. So um, <clears throat> the demons have asked for permission to enter the pigs. Jesus grants them this permission, and then all these pigs rush off the cliff and they die in the lake. And uh, if you start to read the commentators, there's all sorts of different interpretations around that one. Uh, I would suggest it's it's what's going on there is an absolute visual demonstration for the disciples. What has just happened spiritually is now happening physically. So, in other words, uh, pigs, which were deemed to be unclean animals in the Old Testament. Uh, so, uh, Jewish people in the, uh, were, were urged, and I think they still are, not to eat pork. In fact, the, uh, the Bible says you mustn't even touch the, uh, the uh, carcass of a dead pig. It's, it's that unclean. So, what's just happened here? So, these unclean spirits have just gone into unclean animals. And then they have just been wiped out. Yeah. So actually, that's what's just happened. These spirits have just been dealt with 
And Jesus is saying, yeah, physically that's what's happened, same as what's just happened spiritually. I've got rid of them, and they've gone. Okay, um, just practically, just worth observing. Again, just in case you are in a position where you ever have to deal with this kind of stuff, just worth observing the way that Jesus dealt with the demonic, uh, very similar actually in many ways to the way he dealt with, with sickness. He gave short, sharp commands. Short, sharp commands. So he says in Luke 4, be silent, come out of him. Um, another time it just says, he just rebuked the demon. And so I think what we take from that is that Jesus does not engage in long conversations with the demonic. He doesn't sit down and have a jolly chat. You know what I mean? He's, he's not interested in that. He's just, no, he uses his authority. Short, sharp command, get out, go. Um, and I say that because um, I, I'm not an expert in this at all, but I do understand that one of the things that the demonic will use is try and engage you in conversation. It's a delaying tactic again. So, but we don't see Jesus do that. In fact, when Jesus uses his authority generally, in other situations you see short, sharp commands. So he said, to, what did he say to Lazarus when he was dead? Lazarus, come out, or come forth. or Yes, yeah, just short. And when he's on the lake, what does he say? Peace, be still. So you see God just using his authority in short, sharp bursts uh, often. Uh, I just think that's helpful for us because we don't want to engage with the wrong thing. We just we understand who we are, who he is, and what to do. Okay. The other interesting thing I think we should just note from this passage, really, is the reaction of the people of the districts of the Gerasenes. Because you would, apart from if you're a pig farmer, you wouldn't be too happy if you were a pig farmer, but you would have thought the other people would have been delighted that the problem of the mad naked guy had been sorted out. Oh, thank goodness. He's been here for, you know, for years. We haven't been able to deal with this. We haven't had an answer. Oh, thank you, Jesus. You've sorted it out. No. That's not the way they react. It says they were seized with great fear. And then they said, please, will you go? So he got into a boat and left. Now, you would have thought that they would have been delighted, wouldn't you? That would have been my reaction. Whoa, fantastic. Not a bit of it. When the power of God is demonstrated, the authority of God is demonstrated, it terrifies people. It can be scary. No, no, not always. Actually, I have to say, um, with healing, I've discovered it's really ordinary. Disappointingly ordinary, if I'm really honest. Pray for people, they're healed. Boom, and you think, oh, is that it? Oh, you know, no, no choir, no... no Nothing. It's just, oh, I'm better now. Oh, thank you very much. Bye. And you think, oh, oh. But. So um, sometimes it can be very ordinary. But actually, for some people who are not used to this, it can be unsettling. And um, actually, even for disciples, it can be. So if you remember when the disciples, are, uh, Jesus rebukes the storm, it obeys. They marvel, and then they're scared. And then they're scared. So, um, the people of the Gerasenes are so frightened that they ask Jesus to leave. Now, I think it's very interesting that when they say, will you leave, he says, okay. Very simple one line here. It says, so he got into the boat and returned. You don't see Jesus saying, 
Now, steady on, chaps. A great thing has happened here amongst you. We do need to talk about this. And let me explain it to you. Um, not that Jesus was ever that English, but you know what I mean. He, um, <coughs> he, he, uh, he, he, he doesn't say, come on, let's, let's discuss this so I can explain it. They say, no, we're frightened. Will you go? And he says, okay. Oh, I was wondering this. I wonder if you've been a Christian for a while. I wonder if you've seen a, something of this. Maybe you were in a meeting once and you heard somebody start to scream and you thought, I think I know what's going on there. What was your reaction? Probably, for many of us, it will be, that's terrifying, get me away from it. If we're honest. That's terrifying. Get me away from it. I, I wonder if actually what happened inside of you at that point was you said, God, please will you leave here? Did you react like the people of the Gerasenes? That is really scary. Please go. I'll do the other stuff. I'll follow you and I'll read my Bible and I'll go to church and I'll share my faith and I'll, and I'll pray for the sick occasionally if I have to, but, but not, not, not this area because it's really disturbing. If you're honest, did some of you do that? Because I reckon I did first time I saw it. I just thought, oh, no, 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 no. This is, this is really disturbing. Well, I, I'll you know, do the other stuff, but not this. And then, as the years have gone on, you might be saying, I wonder why I never see this stuff. I read, I read my Bible, you know. It happens a lot in the Bible. So why is there a difference between my life and what's going on in here? That's a bit odd. It's because you've said, Jesus, just leave, please. We can take internal vows. We can have internal conversations with God. We can even say, look, I'll follow you, but the deal is none of that. That stuff can go on internally, can't it? You're looking at him as, a, as though it's just me. I, d I know it's not just me. <laughs> it's an obvious question for us then this morning, isn't there? We've just seen what disciples are. Disciples are people that preach the gospel, they heal the sick, and they cast out demons. That's what a biblical disciple looks like. <laughs> question are you willing today to overturn some of those decisions you made are you willing to say you know what Lord I don't like this stuff and I'm certainly not going to be searching it out and that's very healthy by the way but I am willing to face it if you want me to because I want to be a disciple in your mold in your image not mine it's not up to you and me to define what discipleship is, is it? We believe in the word of God. It's his authority and it's his word. So question, are you willing to say, yes, Lord, rather than please get in your boat and go away? I'll leave you with that one. Okay, lastly. While the people of the region were absolutely terrified by what had happened, uh, the guy who was got set free just was absolutely blown away. 
He was blown away by what had happened. He just wanted to be with Jesus. He, he begs him, please, can I just come with you? I just want to be with you. I want to be around you. I want to follow you. Because this man's life has just been totally revolutionized. Totally revolutionized. No more are people going to run away in fear of this man. No more is this man going to have to endure the indignity of nakedness. And that's what he was doing, enduring this. He hadn't even got enough control to put clothes on. And he had to endure this embarrassment wherever he went. He's not going to endure fits of this sort of mania. He's going to be free from being driven out into the desert. All this terrible loneliness, this torment, this physical hardship, this darkness that has enveloped this man and gripped his life and made his life awful. Just, just absolute the pits. Can you imagine living like that? This man has had to do that and now he has been set free. And not only is he free, but God has now said, I'm going to give you a purpose in your life. You're going to go to these cities and you're going to be an evangelist. And boy, have you got a story to tell. So, whoa, what a turnaround for this man. No wonder he's saying, Jesus, I just want to be with you. Wow. So why should we be involved in this scary, mad world of casting out demons? Why should we do that? Just look at the fruit. Look at the fruit of it. Look at the fruit. Look at the freedom that comes to this man. And that's what Jesus wants to do with you and me. He wants us to, to share in his joy of seeing people set free. It's the Isaiah 61. I have come to set the captives free. That's why he needs a church full of people who will say, I'm up for it, Lord. I'll do it. I don't understand it. It's all a bit weird, but I'm up for it. See, if we have a church full of people who are saying, eh, well, somebody else. Suddenly, we're not going to deal with the problem. He wants a church full of people who will say, God, I'm just a human. I don't understand it. It is scary. But if you're with me, I'm up. I'll do it. That's what he's calling for, I believe, uh, for us today. Because he wants freedom. He wants the freedom. You know, there are people out there today who are like this. Who are as, uh, just as disturbed as this. Yet God longs for their freedom. He longs for their freedom. That Isaiah 61 passage about setting the captive free, it's as fresh and as real today as it was 2,000 years ago when Jesus said it first. He wants us to do it with us today. I just want to say lastly, if you haven't got involved in the adventure of following Jesus Hey, you can. And if anyone's come here today saying, well, you know, I've heard that being Christian is really boring. <laughs> well, if going through storms, having near-death experience, and, uh, and then thinking, what on earth, and screaming people that get set free, and then seeing the dead raised. If that's boring to you, I'd love to know what you're up to generally, I must say. <laughs> now, that's the kind of plan he has. I've got life for you, life to the full. That does mean occasionally you will be scared, by the way. It's like a roller coaster. It is scary, isn't it, at times? Yeah. But, but what it means is there will be the fullness of life for you. <clears throat> and I just want to say, if you have never given your life to Jesus, if you're here today thinking, well, I'll check out this Christianity thing, what you've got to do is ask him to forgive you for your sin. Just ask him to forgive you for your sin. And then say to him, okay, what do you want me to do for the rest of my life? And then let him show you, and then just do it. Just keep going.
because he's a good God and he has an amazing plan for your life. Okay, um, we're going to finish with one song. Uh, and there are three areas. Uh, so, band, yes, if you could come this way. I don't know, Edge, where you're going. Uh, okay, well, the rest of the band will come up. Um, there are three areas. So, ministry team, can I ask you to come up, please, as well? If you could go over there, that'd be really helpful. The three areas where I think that specifically um, I'd encourage you to respond to get prayer. Get prayer if you want to start your adventure with Jesus, if you don't know him. This is your great opportunity. You can start to walk with him and to know this amazing God. I would encourage you to come and get prayer if you've been involved with anything occultic. Anything occultic. Uh, just come and get prayer. And, and also, I'd like you to come and get prayer if you know that you have actually been scared about this area of the demonic and you have said no. And today is the day when you want to say, Jesus, I want to reverse that decision. I want to say yes to you. It could be other things you want to get prayer for. If you're physically sick, love to pray for you. But um, we're going to stand right now and we're going to worship.